Hello and welcome to Slogging It, an almost new cricketing podcast hosted by me, John O'Gordon, and I'm joined tonight by my two wonderful co-hosts, Simon and Eugene. How are you, lads? Very good, mate. Thanks. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks, John. Not too bad. Uh, good to hear. And this week's special guest is the one and only Toby Tarrant, otherwise known as Alan. So, Toby, I think the first thing that you can do to us, and thank you very much for <laughs> agreeing to join us on this uh, miserable Monday. Um, but yeah, explain to us, Alan, how did that come about? Uh, Alan uh, is a nickname that I bestowed upon myself, actually, at the cricket club. So, just, I, w- I was on the train going down to a game earlier this season, and I decided that, just like Alan Titchmarsh, I bloody love seeds. And and uh, and it, and it went from there. Uh, I t- oh, I told dear. the guys in the stretching circle, which is where all meaningful conversation happens in the stretching <laughs> circle. Uh, we've covered it all. We've covered you know divorce, bereavement. We've covered everything in the stretching circle. Um, and I ran it by the guys. I just thought it was pretty funny. Uh, I then proceeded to bowl really badly. So there was ironic, <laughs> ironic cheers of bold Allen uh, for the first few overs. Yeah, but uh, but it, it did kind of stick. It kind of stuck. It's not it's not cemented yet, but it's it's bubbling under the surface. It, it comes out Give every now time. and then. I'm, I'm I'm quite pleased of it. I'm quite pleased of it. Well, because <laughs> normally in cricket, my nickname would just be Tobes or Tobo or something like that. So Alan's <laughs> quite inventive. We were talking about potential nicknames earlier before you came on, and I suggested Tobo, and the other two thought it was the most ridiculous thing they may have ever heard. So I'm glad that that's actual, uh, it's actually seen the light of day before, because it now justifies me saying it. Um, obviously, <laughs> great for you to come on. Uh, we've got plenty of different things to talk about, the first one of which is that you were born in the 90s, uh, which I just think is frankly ridiculous. You're six foot five, you've got a beard, uh, that's an illegal <laughs> manoeuvre. <laughs> I know. Do you know? I, I'm 1991. I turned 29 the, uh, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I was at I was at Radio X for for about six months. And I was in the office one day, and uh, I was just sat there minding my own business. And it came up in conversation. This is a few years ago. That it came up in conversation that I was 26 at the time, and the whole office, everyone looked up from their Macs. The whole office just went quiet and went. How old are you? And I went, 26. And my mate Ferds broke the silence. He just went, you are the most beat up 26-year-old I've ever seen in my life. How long is your paper round? Exactly. I look like I've, I look like I've been through, a bit, you know, like the football manager, Slavin Bilic, looks like he's permanently going through a divorce. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm the same. I look like I'm permanently <laughs> fighting for custody over kids that I don't really love. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah. Still only twenty nine, but I don't, I've had a beard since I've been six foot five of beards since I was about twelve. So, uh, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, lads. We Amazing. Kid at school. Uh, yeah, absolutely. The lad who was playing rugby league for Wigan when he was nine, he was a massive. Yeah. Um, Deepest voice in history. You, you, you ask how tough Toby's paper round must have been. Uh, knowing where Toby grew up, I think their newspapers were like delivered by doves or some other kind of exotic bird. They, the children do not do paper rounds around there. Let's just get that yeah, it's, straight. Look, hey, the people around me needed their daily mail, okay? They, need, <laughs> they, needed, yeah. they needed to get their slightly racist rhetoric from the newspapers and they needed it quickly. 
Um, yeah, it was. Uh, it, I grew up in Surrey, which uh, I grew up in the very rich, very posh part of Surrey. Do you know, to be fair, it was. I, I I love a lot of Surrey. I really do. There's actually some very down to earth, very uh, self aware, very humble, very um, self derogatory, very self. Um, uh, what the, what's the word? Self deceptive. I can't say the word. Self deprecating. There we go. And I'm a radio presenter. There you go. <laughs> um, and uh, there's a real nice side to Surrey where we all recognise that we're very privileged and we're very lucky. And there's another huge side to Surrey. Uh, which is complete assholes that wear uh, raspberry-coloured chinos and have jumpers tied around their shoulders. And uh, I just made sure <laughs> I hung out with the uh, self-deprecating people. <laughs> Deprecating, <laughs> lovely. <laughs> I have definitely got some raspberry-coloured chinos. Let's just get them. Oh, I bet you have. Right. Oh, I would have given you a right. I would have given you a wide berth in Surrey. I'm not, no doubt about that. <laughs> uh, it's, but I've got the northern voice though, so I can't. I carry neither off well. Like my, all my <laughs> mates from up north think I now sound like a southerner and definitely dress like a southerner. So you're a pariah. Um, you're, but, you're a leper. No, nobody wants to go near you. <laughs> no, absolutely. For many other reasons than my dress sense and accent, <laughs> may it be, uh, may it be known. Um, so, kind of, we're going to talk about your career a bit. We'll obviously come on to uh, your life in club cricket and stuff, which obviously we've got loads to, to discuss there. Um, first thing I want to talk about is obviously you recently got engaged to a lovely Pippa. I've had the, the pleasure of uh, meeting her. Um, my wife is in love with her without having have, having ever met her. Um, but obviously you, you, you seem, I mean, you're a presenter. She can have her if she Pippa's wants. Pippa's a producer. Um, and so you'd think that the balance of social media followers would be more weighted towards you. But I mean, you, you're running a... 45% maybe on a good day. I mean, that's got to be tough to take, Tobes, right? Oh, mate, I've, uh, I've, I've, uh, I've gone from being Chris Tarrant's son to Pippa's fiancé in, uh, in absolutely no time, basically, <laughs> is, is what's happened. I, uh, I know, mate, and there, there I am. I mean, if you follow me on Twitter, uh, and feel free to, if you're listening to this, at Toby Tarrant, I need all the listeners I can get, uh, I need all the followers I can get. I've... Um, I tweet constantly. It's like a stream of consciousness for me. It's it's uh, I basically it's my therapy Twitter, and yet Pippa tweets about once every six months, and gets two thousand likes more than me. There's me writing jokes for twenty minutes trying to get the tweet perfect. <laughs> she tweets something like, "Oh, I had eggs for lunch. They were nice," and it gets two thousand likes, and her followers go up. <laughs> Human, mate. But I've taken it well, as you can though. hear. Absolutely. Well, yeah. on, it leads us on nicely. So, um, Chris Moyles, famously, um, when you moved in together, uh, I won't reveal where that is, um, but you, you, you famously, you had this John Lewis gift list that I presume was supposed to go to family and friends and other things. But, I mean, Chris Chris then kind of changed that the direction of that somewhat. So, we didn't actually set up the John Lewis list ourselves so what happened was we moved into our flat together which was so if you haven't ever listened to radio x so i do the show from 10 in the morning to one in the afternoon chris Moyles has the breakfast show before that pip is the exec producer of that so it was a big deal when we first announced that we were seeing each other an even bigger deal when we announced that it was actually going quite well and then that we ended up moving in with each other so chris came up with an idea 
of setting up a John Lewis wish list. So basically, when couples do move in together or they just got married, you can email your friends a list of stuff that you want sent your way. Uh, so Chris and uh, the other members of the team set up a wish list. And the Chris Moyle Show listeners are like a cult. They live and breathe that show. They don't miss a second. You know, if they can't listen live, they go back and listen to it later in the day on the app and stuff. And so, sure enough, you know, rather than just getting a couple of items here and there, we didn't have to pay for anything when we moved into our house. The listeners were sending us cutlery, uh, dressing gowns, egg cups, uh, glassware, <laughs> chopping boards, knife uh, knife collections, uh, candlesticks, you name it, board games, pajamas, <laughs> bed sheets. We, uh, the generosity of the listeners knows no bounds. So Pippa and I genuinely, however, Chris thought it would be hilarious to put 1,000 egg cups on there. And uh, we, we, we got about 200 of them. So, uh, so the, a charity shop near us in, uh, got got given about 192 egg cups one morning, basically. Uh, yeah, so, uh, so yeah, the, unbelievably generous of the listeners, but, uh, but very entertaining watching the boxes arrive each day with all these ridiculous items turning up. Spatulas, you name it, Brilliant. the listeners got it for us. Yeah, so it was, uh, it was surreal, but we, we still use that stuff to this day. It was great. Sorry, and a slightly weird thing there. The way I heard the start of that conversation was that you were moving in with Chris Moyle. So I was like, oh, I'm sure we'd have heard about that on a bit more of a regular basis. <laughs> yeah, but I, yeah, I see what's happened there now. <laughs> that would have been a very, a very different dynamic. Um, the Daily yeah, Mail but, uh, would have definitely written about that. Yeah, exactly. It would have made, it would have pulled up some cheese, wouldn't it? It would have, it would have been a yeah. difficult sell to Pippa. I know we've been going steady for a couple of years <laughs> here, but I'm moving in with Chris Moyles. Um, so yeah, so it was, uh, it was a surreal couple of days, but, uh, that's the power of the Chris Moyles show. They are quite literally a cult. You know, when people say, yeah. Oh, and if Chris Moyles told you to jump off a bridge, would you? They absolutely would. Yeah. They absolutely would. So, uh, yeah, they're, they're great. They're great. I've, I've been watching something on, uh, on Sky the last couple of days with with Lisa, the wife, but it's called The Vow, which it actually is about a cult. Now I've just got Chris Moyles running some kind of sex, weird, like, drug-fueled cult somewhere in, like, Midwest America, uh, and actually thinking... I, it, I suggest uh, you I can get that image out of your head immediately. <laughs> yeah, it's not a great one, I'll be honest. Um, right, brilliant. <laughs> um, let's talk a bit more cricket. Let's Let's go right back to the start. Uh, really keen to know how you got into it. Obviously, your dad's a huge cricket fan, uh, and you're both massively involved with our charity partners, the Lord's Taverners, that we'll come on to later. Um, but was it interesting to know, like, was it your dad's influence that got you into cricket from the in the first instance? Um, it was to an extent, but uh, he never he never shoved cricket down my throat. As much as he loves it, his his first love is fishing, and his second love is cricket. And if it was down to me. Uh, if it was down to him, I would have been a fisherman rather than a cricketer. He would have loved it if I... And I never quite got the fishing. I, I enjoy it, but I, I'm a fair, a fair weather fisherman. So if dad's going to south of France for a week fishing, then I'll, I'll join him and we'll sit on the bank and we'll have a couple of beers and, you know, put the rods out. Um, but I can't fish in the rain on a cold Tuesday night somewhere just outside of Reading. And not catch anything. Whereas, whereas he yeah, he does that every night of the week, and I never caught, I never cared enough to do that. I was like, look, Dad, I'll, I'll let me know when the France trip's happening, all right? But I, I'll give Reading a miss. So, um, I mean, there, 
there are some people that uh, would say that cricket is the more interesting of your dad's two hobbies as well, which a lot of people would <laughs> found astounding. Yeah, I mean, he's he's picked two of the most uh, universally accepted as boring hobbies on the planet, but uh, <laughs> cricket was the less one. But no, I, I I wanted, I loved football when I was a kid. I think football was sort of my gateway drug to other sports. So I just loved football. My earliest memory, sort of '98 World Cup, having all knowing all the players, knowing who the who the players up front for Saudi Arabia and getting the sticker book and all that stuff. Uh, Sami Al Jabbar, by the way. Um, and then, uh, <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, and Nawaf Al Temyat playing midfield, I recall. But um, <laughs> so I was obsessed with football from a young age. And then, and then I remember watching really bad England cricket teams. I remember that sort of late nineties. Uh, the better players were sort of Nick Knights. There was also a bit of Dominic Cork, mm. a young Freddie Flintoff, bit of Ronnie Arani in the one day team, that sort of era. Uh, an underperforming Graham Hick, Craig White. That's sort of my earliest England memories. Um, and then, I, but I wanted to play football because I, I, I loved football, and I, but I was bad at it. I, I couldn't get it into my head that I was not good at football. I was too lanky. I was too slow. Didn't have a first touch. I was no good at it. And then cricket, I didn't play until I got a bit older, probably about 10 or 11. And first time I picked up a cricket ball, unlike a football, it sort of went where I wanted it to go. And so I ended up just being like, well, this is way better for my ego that I'm quite good at this. <laughs> but rubbish for birds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I said, I said goodbye to my sex life, but hello to a bowling average of a touch under 20. Uh, <laughs> so, this is what Peter so, Crouch would have been had he not played football. Yeah, exactly that. Exactly that. If Peter Crouch had played cricket, he would still not have had sex. So he's, he's lucky he was good at football. Um, so, yeah. So, and then from there, cause, cause it's a complicated sport. The beauty of football, the reason so many people watch football is it's very, very simple. People that don't watch football ever can watch a World Cup and they go, oh, yeah, just put the ball in the goal. That's pretty straightforward. Um, whereas cricket, you have to play it really to understand it. I mean, the rules are complicated. The skill set's even more complicated. People can't understand why, you know, all four of us sat here can watch a maiden over in test cricket. It's because I can see exactly what the bowler's trying to do, exactly what the batsman's trying to do. To the naked eye, it's just a bloke with a plank of wood just plodding the ball backwards towards the bowler for six deliveries. Whereas I can see, like, oh, he's tried five away swingers and in-swinger there. Oh, he's got the batsman. Oh, the batsman really wants to get away off this fourth delivery. He wants to get a single. Because you can appreciate the nuances. So I think playing cricket fell into watching the sport. And now, uh, and now test cricket is, for me, the only thing that comes close to, to, to big football matches. It, it's, to me, on a par. I absolutely love test cricket. So, like, what, Coventry Reading on a wet Wednesday in Stoke? <laughs> it's a, it's I mean, a difficult I, we're not, we're not going to talk football. No, I mean, it's a difficult one. That's the thing. Obviously, I'm a, I'm a Liverpool fan, a Liverpool season ticket holder. <coughs> I've had, yeah, I'm very sorry. I've had some special nights as a Liverpool fan, especially in recent years. Um, and nothing can recreate that sort of unrivaled passion of football. But if I could only go and watch one sport for the rest of my life, I think I'd take a day at the Test Cricket, sat with your mate having a few Good beers. Lad. I really do. Good I really lad. do. Yeah. Oh, luckily, That's I'd never brilliant. have to make that choice. But the, just sitting a, a day at the cricket, sun's out, uh, you've, you've got a few beers, you and your mate catch up, 
uh, a game happens in the background that you dip in and out of. There's, there's nothing better. I absolutely love it. The best thing about it is if you don't actually find the cricket enjoyable, you just walk around the back. There's about there's a bar with about three thousand people at it, champagne reception going off. You're like, wow, great. And you can then have a look on the big screen. It's tremendous. I went to a test match, England versus the West Indies. It was dull. It was at Lord's, so it was a brilliant day. I watched forty minutes of cricket. <laughs> it was fantastic. It's basically a beer garden with, with something to watch, isn't it? It's a beer garden. A really expensive a beer garden though. I mean, the Harris Gardens at Lord's is not cheap. <laughs> Let's get that straight. <laughs> it is an expensive They sell hobby. bottles of champagne. Where the, the, I think the smallest bottles, like a Magnum. And you see, like, pissed blokes walking around with Jeroboam's and, like, Verve Glico, like, pouring it in, like, girls' glasses, is it? But, hey, Lord's brilliant. Can't talk it's about that. Red yeah. Trouser Brigade that Toby grew with. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Oh, yeah. Trust me, if I walk around Lords at a test match, half of half of Surrey's in there. I recognise every other bloke in there. <laughs> um, so this leads us nicely on to um, really interesting to find out. And I think there's there's probably two, one recent, one maybe a bit further um, ago. That's not a great sentence, John. Um, anyway, we'll go with it. Uh, your best, your favourite cricketing memory as a fan. So what would that be? I'd be interested to see if my two predictions would be right. So, uh, physically being there, I was there at the run chase in 2005 at Trent Bridge, which was unbelievably good. Unbelievably good. We, uh, Dad and I, we had tickets to, we had tickets to Lords, but Australia thumped us so quickly. We didn't make it. We had day five tickets at Lords. Then we had Trent Bridge day four. And we looked at it and went, oh, we might just miss the, the action there. It might be a bit of a nothing day setting up for day five. As it happened, the best day's cricket or three quarters of a day's cricket you could possibly imagine. Yeah. Chasing 129 Hoggard and Giles at the end. Um, just the best live atmosphere I've, I've ever seen in my life. The nerves, the nerves of that. There's, there's something about watching your side chase a low total. There's, there's, that's probably the most stressful it gets in cricket. I've had to do that a lot. <laughs> exactly. Well, you, uh, you, that's the other thing is like, uh, at this point, you forget in 2005, England are quite good nowadays, or certainly have been since. But back then, too many scars. Uh, we, 129 might as well have been 429 back then against that Australian team. So yeah, live, that was the best, best I've ever seen. Uh, I was also there for Treskoffic's 200 against South Africa at the Oval when I was very, very young. 2001, I'm going to say, which was brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think like a lot of people, that 2005 series was the bit where I went from liking cricket to buying all woodworm gear and falling in love with Andrew Flintoff. And uh, you know, now I've heard there's other much better brands available. But, uh, but at the time, uh, woodworm was quite good. Uh, but yeah, so, um, so 2005. Um, but those early memories, I, I, I kind of at the time, England was so rubbish when I first started watching in the early noughties that that early Australia team was actually what I fell in love with. Just watching yeah. that ridiculous batting lineup, that ridiculous bowling lineup, Shane Warne, a proper rock star, proper superstar. Uh, and also that we, we had Tendulkar and Lara in their pomp in the early noughties. Tendulkar was the first batsman I fell in love with. I, 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 I think like 
I knew I was always going to prefer Test cricket because I didn't care about uh, Gilchrist spanking six all over the place. I just wanted to watch Sachin Tendulkar play a cover drive from a young age. I re- I knew yeah. I didn't know much about cricket, but even age about ten, I was like, "There's something about that cover drive that that's giving me an erection if I could get one at that age." <laughs> Did you? Uh, I mean, so obviously that watching those cover drives, obviously, um, and, and Ian Bell, great exponent of the cover drive. Let's not forget. Um, who was in that 2005 side? Did you did you never think that you know in the next kind of half of your life to this point you'd have tried to copy them? Right, with my 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 batting is quite agricultural. Again, <laughs> I I think there's something about I think because of my ridiculous physique, a bit like how I was bad at football. That's not really. Hold on, let's just quantify that. That's not necessarily ridiculous in a good way, like. Some Instagram bloke no. on, on Muscle Beach. <laughs> That's yeah, yeah, the yeah. other ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, there's no men's health haven't got a front cover with me shirtless going, get this ridiculous physique. That's what no one's after this. A bit of belly and a bit of tit. Nobody's nobody's pining for this physique. But my ridiculously lanky, weirdly misshaped physique. I think the more moving parts, the more things that can go wrong. Whereas bowling, I just have to do the same thing over and over again. So, so I just I just learned one skill, and that so batting the ball could come from all sorts of angles, doing all sorts of different things. Too much for my little brain to work out. Bowling, I worked out. So if I just run in and hit the top of that one there, that normally seems to work pretty well. So I'll just try and keep doing that again. Uh, but then again, uh, that would mean that I'd be good at golf. And as my twenty nine <laughs> over just before lockdown a test, I'm not good at golf. And so in theory, that should be one of my better ones. But no, sadly not. There is time, time, time. Yeah, you have plenty of time to golf. Um, as you as you quite rightly point out, there, um, you you are an angry fast bowler. Uh, anybody, um, there's a photo. Toby and I played in a game together for the for the Taverners that we'll we'll talk about later on. But there's a photo of Toby. In his bowling stride for the taverners that got, I, I think I shared all over my. It, it looks like it looks like he wants to eat that whatever he's running into bowl at, like, or just murder it. It's not as bad. It looks so angry. Um, Always great on, the on that, um, What's your most embarrassing ever wicket? Now I think I already know the answer to this. I think it also. I think it happened this year, right? Because angry fast bowlers can only get certain styles of wickets, right? Yeah, so I played a I played a game for the Tavs earlier this year. It had been raining all week, and I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna get my excuses in early doors here. Uh, it had been raining for, for for a few days. Also, because of the lockdown, I hadn't had a preseason. I want to get that out there. Uh, you know, uh, also, <laughs> this is I'd, savage. I'd, I'd, I'd also <laughs> had a tough day at work. I'd done a three hour shift. So you know, so you're, you're, you're already tired, you know. Uh, and then I turned up, and uh, we play on this absolute pudding of a wicket, absolute pudding of a wicket. And uh, first spell, keeper goes back, you know, sees me six foot five. He's never kept to me before. He's thinking all oh, this, you know, sees my run up, which is like Michael holding. Someone holds the gate open for me. And I run in and bowl and bowl and I, I it basically the first three balls bounce twice before they get to the wicket keeper. And uh anyway, just to be nice to me, I think he stayed back for the whole first spell. And then second spell, when the run chase was getting a bit tight, he goes, Do you know, I might 
I might come and stand up to you, you know. And I was like, oh, I don't know, mate. I'm feeling pretty, <laughs> feeling pretty good here. Feeling, feel like just, just, I've got loose now. But, you know, you're a braver man than me. Um, <laughs> anyway, so obviously as soon as the keeper stands up to a fast bowler, the first thing you do is really try and sling it down there. Really try and sling it down there. You know, I really want him to be hopping around behind the stumps. And anyway, I run in, I bend my back, you know, big angry face. Sling it down there. Batsman leaves it alone outside off stump. Keeper, calm as you like, takes it into his mitts, chucks it the first slip. I'm like, okay. Um, anyway, Batsman next ball tries to track me. Uh, completely misses it. Keeper calmly takes the bales off stumped. I've not taken a wicket stumped before, <laughs> but uh, it, it was a low point. I've never celebrated a wicket less. I love you, know. The worst <laughs> thing was... I took five for in that game, including a triple wicket maiden, I'll have you know, but one of them was stumped, and so the rest of the over was meaningless. <laughs> stumped. Stumped. Caught mid-off and caught a deep backward square leg with the best <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny. My, speaking of embarrassing wickets, I did take uh, the, the worst hat-trick. I've only ever taken one hat-trick. I've been on a hat-trick three times, and I've only taken the hat-trick once. And it can only be described as long hop, absolute Jaffa long hop. <laughs> so <laughs> it was, an, so I ran in, Boulder, bowled this, dragged this horrible delivery way too short. The batsman has thumped me, absolutely middled it, and he's just picked out square leg. So we're all laughing. Brilliant. I'm like, great, I'll take it. You know, got away with that one. Next ball, I run in, absolute beauty. Squares him up, feathers it through to the wicketkeeper. Two in two. Thank you very much. Third ball, a run in. Drag it down. Short, wide, horrible long hop. The bloke tries to hit me into next week, which is where it was deserved to go. Feathers it through to the wicketkeeper. Hat trick. I'm running away. The slip cordon's chasing me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, That's my one and only hat trick. My one and only hat trick. I'll tell you, it, says, it says three wickets in the book. That's all that matters. Yeah, and in, and in 10 years' time, when you're telling the kids, it'll be Jaffa, Jaffa, nip backer, bowl through the gate, yeah. run off. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Field? Oh. He definitely fielded it first slip, not deep, not backwards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's where he fielded. Yeah. Away swinger, in swinger, uh, carom ball. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <Carambol>. <laughs> Brilliant. That's why the keeper was stood up. <laughs> uh, so, so, obviously, we, we've kind of touched on the LTs. Uh, who are obviously very, uh, they're our charity partner for this podcast, as we all know. Uh, Toby, you and, and your dad alike do some amazing work with them. Um, but something that I, you're aware of, because we, we've warned you about it, but through supporting the, the tabs, we, every guest, we're going to ask five uh, ridiculously hard questions, uh, each with an associated value of £2, uh, which means that if you get all five wrong, then you have, to donate £10 to the charity, which you have already agreed to. The twist to this is that we kind of want you to do okay because every week uh, one of the hosts uh, will have to match the guest's outlay, doubling the amount going to the charity. Uh, Eugene, you want to explain a little bit more about this and how this has gone so far tonight? Yeah, we, we were going to do um, a coin toss, but that um, we couldn't find any coins over, over the internet. So what we did was play rock, paper, scissors against each other. And um, I lost twice. First against you, Jono, and second, you, I lost against Sai. So I, I am going to be donating 
I suspect four pounds to the tabs because I reckon Toby's going to get a couple of questions correct. Okay, I like the comments. Right. Thank you. Yes. Um, right, yeah. So, um, Toby, you've obviously got more. Uh, well, you just got more faith in me than I have. I'm the only one that's seen these questions so far. I've been written them. Um, all based on your play cricket stats. Anybody who cares, uh, should they need to put themselves to sleep, can uh, find Toby's stats via the Stoke Davenant play cricket page. So, Toby, are you ready? Yeah, I'm going to be good at this because, uh, you know, some Lotharios have mirrors on their bedroom ceiling, but I've got my play cricket stats. So uh... <laughs> Not these ones you haven't. Not these ones. <laughs> okay. I bet Pippa loves that. <laughs> right, question one. That's why According I always go on the bottom cricket. so I can read them. Sorry, you were saying. <laughs> Are you having a good time? I've just got three for 12. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, question one. According to play cricket, how are you most often out? Oh, I mean, the, usually the stat is caught is by far and away the most common way, but I, I have... I oh I do like to try and mow the straight one over Cow Corner, so I'm gonna say bold. Final answer. See what I did there. I see what you did there. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, that that is incorrect. Oh. Um, unfortunately, you are bold and caught exactly the same amount, both twenty-seven point nine four percent of the time. Finally. <laughs> Referee. <laughs> well, hey, I don't make the rules. Oh, hold on. Hold on. Yes, I do make the rules. Uh, I swear Pandy. to God as well, I have been Pandy. caught at every fielding position on the pit. You know how they say A.B. de Villiers <laughs> is a 360-degree player? Well, so am I. <laughs> yeah. All off the back of the bat. Yeah, exactly that. Your highest league cricket score on play cricket to Stoke Davenant is 29. Who was it against? And in which year? Oh, God, I don't remember that. You'd think I'd, I'd have spoken of little else, wouldn't you? Uh, <laughs> it, was it, I, I got some runs this year. Is it, is it not out or is it out, can I ask? Uh, it was not out, I believe. Is it, is it this year? Is it not out against uh, someone like Walton? Uh, no, it was against Kingstonian in 2011. Um, no. question, question I don't remember that three. knock at all. I don't remember that <laughs> knock at all. I think they've put somebody else's runs down as mine. I'll take them. <laughs> uh, since 2010, you've had three seasons where you scored zero runs all year. And to answer Eugene's question from this <laughs> afternoon, in those seasons, you've batted three times, four times, Six times. No <laughs> what way. What season's worthy? <laughs> what, so I went 13 innings without a run. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, how many not outs are in there? I like to think that I selflessly, I selflessly ran myself out of the last ball 13 times. There are a couple of not outs, but I mean, you are a number my, 11. It's not like you're a number four. But... Yeah, but my word. But like, yeah, law of averages, you should at least edge one of those, right? <laughs> But the, the law of averages is suggesting yours wasn't great. <laughs> <laughs> I've thrown the law of averages out the window. Wow. Three uh, seasons. But I, I mean, let's have a stab in the dark here. Uh, 2017, uh, 2014, I remember being a lean year. 
and uh, 2013. <laughs> oh, do you know, you're very, very close. Am I? It was 2013, 2014, and 2019. Oh. Unfortunately, you needed all three to save you two pounds, oh. so that's another two pounds of the charity. Now, actually, I've got um, a story about this. I just remembered that last season, now that you mention it, I hadn't got a run uh, all season. I'd only batted three times, but I hadn't got a run yet. Uh, I go in in a bit of a pressure situation, and I arrogantly turn to my mate sat next to me, and I go, hope the scorer's got enough red ink in that pen for this innings. Uh, and I, and uh, I got bowled, first ball cleaned up. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Oh, dear me. Brilliant. Right, question four. Um, so earlier you said that you'd never had a stump in before. Untrue. According to play cricket, yeah. <laughs> you have a stumping bowling to Stoke Devonian Cricket Club. In what right. year do we think that was? Uh, I, I mean, I like you're probably think... young, right? W well, I'm going to say, I'm going to hope for my ego's sake that it was, I played a Sunday game, you know, thought I'd be the honourable bloke that turned out for the Sunday team. You know, they were short and I, and I bowled off break. Uh, and I reckon I haven't played for the Sunday team in a few years. So I'll say 200 and, uh, 200 and, uh, 2015, I reckon. 2011. Oh, okay. How much? You didn't. Eugene. Up you had an up and down year in 2011. <laughs> 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 yeah. That's my Alice uh, Finally. Finally. Um, you, the highest partnership you've ever been a part of is 60. Who with? Oh, I must have stood at the other end and watched somebody tee off. Um, I'll say that probably, I'm trying to think which one of my mates is likely to have teed off whilst I just stood and watched. I'll say at the other end was, um, um, oh, I'll say it was Will Gudgeon. No. Muma Kara. I don't know who that is. <laughs> <laughs> For anybody Brilliant. who wants to question the legitimacy of play cricket, <laughs> please see the attack. Oh, Toby Tarrant. Toby well, Tarrant. So, do yeah. I owe 10 quid to the tabs, do I? 10 quid to the tabs. But that's £20 because as one of the three hosts, Eugene Berger, the great man that he is, will match that. And so that's £20, whole English pounds, coming to the Lord's Taverners. Um. Obviously, uh, in support of the Lord's Taverners, there's the, the something that we will we will be talking about them quite a lot um, over the podcasts over the, the coming years, and or in, until people are so disinterested in this that we decide not to bother doing it anymore. Um, but the way that our listeners years, you're feeling out, optimistic. Years. <laughs> if you crikey. make it to February, I'll be impressed. <laughs> Such is the level of the questions. <laughs> Toby has been asked so far tonight. <laughs> He's got that much faith in me as a host. Brilliant. Um, what everybody can do, if people text tabs11, that's 11 is in the numbers 1, 1, tabs11 one, one, uh, to 70331, uh, you can donate £3 to the charity. We will be talking about this every week. Toby, uh, shortly, we'll be talking about some of the amazing work that the tabs do. Uh, Toby and I are both very, very close to the charity and, it, and they do some fantastic work. 
if you are going to donate, please make sure that you are a minimum of 16 years old and have the bill payers permission before you do so. Uh, here is a quick note from the uh, Lord's Taverners themselves. The Lord's Taverners is the UK's leading youth cricket and disability sports charity. We break down barriers and empower disadvantaged and disabled young people to fulfil their potential and build life skills. Our cricket programmes support some of the most marginalised and at-risk young people in the UK, using sport and recreation to build links and encouraging groups to play sport together. We tackle issues such as knife crime, unemployment, radicalisation and also isolation, something we are all feeling right now. Last year, our programmes impacted the lives of more than 12,000 young people and, with your support, will help even more in the future. Find out more and make a donation at lordstaverners.org and help us to continue our life-changing work. Thank you. So, Davenant, I've had the opportunity to play against him a couple of times. Both times you were miraculously on holiday. Um, I don't know what on earth caused that. Uh, but brilliant club, some fantastic blokes down there. Uh, but obviously, you've now moved away from the area. So what is it about the club and kind of cricket in Surrey that keeps you going back? Uh, yeah, so I uh, when so I played for them when I was a kid. They're the only cricket club I've ever played for. Uh, there was quite a strong link between the school I was at and the club. A lot of kids that went to my school, uh, prep school, went and played there. So just because my mates were there, I joined the club. And then really good, lovely group of lads, uh, you know, some of my best mates. And we've we've gone on this mad run now of four promotions in in four seasons. We've we've been unstoppable because I think just it's the same group of lads that's been playing since we were in down in uh, down in the middle of nowhere in the Surrey Fullers League. Uh, now we're playing Surrey Div One, and uh, hoping to give that a good go next season as well. So yeah, but it's the same group of guys. We've all hit the right age. We all range from about twenty eight to thirty two. We've all kind of just hit the, our, our best playing years at the same time. We know each other's games inside out. We have a lot of fun. We all turn up still hungover. Uh, we don't pay any of our players, uh, which is, you know, a kind of club mentality. We don't want to pay players. We want to just pick from our from our youngsters and train them up. Um, we've got a couple of saffers who come, but we don't pay them. They do the groundskeeping. They do the pitch and stuff like that. They do a lot of coaching the youngsters. The clubs run so the right way, but... When I when I first moved up to London to start working, and I'm, I started off uh, about six years ago doing Capital Radio, I was doing the four till six in the morning show. So my alarm used to go off at half two. My alarm went off at half two for, for about four years. And um, I got to the first cricket season. I played cricket every summer. It was all I ever knew. I played cricket every summer. And I got to the first cricket season when I, was, I joined Capital and I was living in central London. And I was... My captain said, you know, are you going to play for us this year? And I was like, I don't know, mate. I said, you know, I'm knackered. By the time I get to the weekend, my body clock's all over the place. I've got to commute down from London. Uh, also, in your mind, you're like, oh, it takes up your whole Saturday. You know, it gets in the way of your social life. So I didn't really net. And it got to the first cricket game of the season. My captain said, do you want to play? And I said, do you know what, mate? I said, I'm, I'm, I'm probably not going to play this season. I might just play a bit of Lord's Tavern and stuff, keep me ticking over, but I probably won't play. Got to the first Saturday of the season, about six years ago, got to the first Saturday of the season. I think I went out Friday night. I woke up really hungover on the Saturday. Got to about three o'clock in the afternoon and I'm sat there in my underpants, 
like eating some reheated pasta playing FIFA or something. And I'm like, what's this illusion I've got of what I'm doing on Saturday? <laughs> <laughs> that, cr- that cricket's getting in the way of. I realised that my social life in the summer is cricket. I've got, I said, right now I'm sat, hung over in my pants. Uh, 11 of my best mates, top, top blokes, are stood in a field right now playing the game that I love. Then they're going to get stuck in for some beers in the clubhouse afterwards. I went, what am I doing here? And I think, if anything now, I'd say I've probably enjoyed cricket the last two, three years more than I've ever enjoyed it in my life. Rather than growing out of it, I think, you know, I work in a sort of, if you like, showbiz, razzmatazz, shiny lights, exciting industry, Monday to Friday. There's a lot of pressure involved with it. It's a, you know, it's a bit of a doddle in terms of hours, but there's a lot of uh, spotlight on you, a lot of pressure. And also we live, you know, in the middle of London where it's loud and we don't open our windows because you hear sirens going past and whatever. <laughs> to, go and, to go and stand in a field with your mates play a game of cricket uh, I, I've never appreciated it more than I have the last few years it's uh and also the nice thing is like as as my career has gone relatively well and stuff the thing that I love about my mates and my cricket club included in this is that it doesn't matter you know I can interview Michael Caine on the Friday but when I turn up for the stretching circle on a Saturday morning no, nobody cares nobody yeah. <laughs> and, and I wouldn't want them to nobody cares yeah yeah I'm, I'm just Toby. You're, you've got the new ball. You better bowl well today. Uh, hopefully, we don't need you to bat. That's it. That's, that's exactly <laughs> it. And, and, uh, and uh, I love it. And uh, I love the lads. And uh, I love playing the game. And yeah, I'd say I probably appreciate it now more than I ever have before. So in terms of just a couple of things that I want to clear up, just out of what you, you, the answer you've just given. For those that don't know, a prep school is basically nursery for lawyers, <laughs> children, and celebrity children. They only really happen in Surrey. And secondly, yeah. when Toby says the commute from London to his old club was just far too far, it's 20 minutes on a train. So, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not that, I, I it's think, not like he had to get on a train to Cardiff. <laughs> I think if you include the walk at the other end, it's half an hour. Thank you, Jono. Um, yeah. Yeah, my prep school where we learned Twinkle Twinkle Little Star and a little bit of Latin as well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, brilliant. Well, how are you supposed to get Latin. by in the modern world without a, a, a basic <laughs> level of Latin? Um, so the, the final question before we kind of move on to what the main body of what these podcasts are about is every cricketer who's 18 plus will have done this at some point. I'm confused. Rain cards. Have you ever played one and gotten it horribly, horribly wrong? Uh, yes, we all have. Um, uh, we went through a, a stage where we thought it would be a good idea to make the uh, probably the biggest drinker at our club captain for a season. And we'd finished third in our league, top two get promoted. We'd finished third in our league three years in a row. We made the drunkest bloke at the club captain. And we survived relegation on the last day. We absolutely scraped by it because he was very much, it didn't matter whether it was raining the next day or not. He was sending the text around on the Friday night saying, <laughs> here lads, we're going out tonight. <laughs> 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 so we did one season of him as captain and thought, do you know what? Maybe he's better just being around the team, around the team rather than, uh, <laughs> than, than, than leading the ship. Uh, now I'll tell you, now I didn't play a rain card here. I will always defend myself on this, but, I uh, we played Mitcham away. I remember this game; it's seared into my memory bank. That's, the, that's the ground where the 
where sorry to interrupt that's the ground where the the pitch is on the opposite side of the main road to the um to the change rooms isn't it, it is you it have is. to walk that... physically across the main road yes and that comes into this story very very nicely so so the week before we win the game and it's getting a bit tight we could get promoted and the captain goes to me can you play next saturday and i said i'm really sorry mate i can't he said why not i said uh I've actually got tickets to Snoop Dogg on Friday night. <laughs> and uh, because all you know, because all uh, middle-class white kids that play cricket, you know, that's Snoop Dogg's target audience. Um, so we, so, and, I, and he goes, well, what, Friday night? And I said, yeah, but it's going to be, we've got big plans, basically. We're, it's it's, it's going to be a late one. I, I don't want to even have to think about cricket the next day. Um, I've had this night in the book for ages. I said, look, if you want to pick me, pick me but i can't make any promises on the state that i'll be in and he went you're in and i went ah oh, damn it i thought i'd called his bluff so we get to the friday night we're heading to this festival where snoop dogg's playing in the middle of london and there's a cock up at the festival they've oversold tickets so the festival has been shut down we get the news as we're on the way to the festival message goes out festival's been shut down too many people have turned up people jumping the barriers police have turned up the whole thing's off so we're now stood in the middle of London, like up for a night out. So my mate suggests um, a nightclub, which some of you may know, called Fabric. And that is a very oh, different God. evening. That's a very, that's a very different <laughs> evening. You're not playing cricket the following day. <laughs> so so, uh, so oh, I said, well, yeah, I mean, if you're all going, let's go. So we went to Fabric. So Snoop Dogg would have been a sort of 1, 2, 3 a.m. jobby. Uh, I remember walking out of fabric, squinting at the sunlight at about 9am, thinking, right, I've got a game of cricket in, in four hours' time. So uh, so I get on the train, back down to Surrey, I get into bed about 10am, and uh, I, I, I message my mate who's picking me up, going, uh, mate, I'm, are you still picking me up in the morning? Because I'd lost all concept of time. And he said, picking you up in the morning, mate, I'm 15 minutes away. So I've just got straight out of bed again. Oh, oh no! I've chucked my kit on. I've chucked my kit on. Uh, he's picked me up. He's taken one look at me and gone, "Oh my word!" And I went, "Yeah, yeah, it's bad. It's it's not. This is not good." <laughs> so so we drive to this game. Uh, we get to the uh, we get to Mitcham. We bat first, and my captain goes, "Toby, mate, do you want to do you want to just go and sleep while we bat? Just get a couple of hours in." And so I went, yeah, it's probably not a bad idea. So I go sit in the changing room, lie there, trying to get to sleep. Obviously, batting collapse. I haven't, I, I've barely shut my eyes. Toby, get your pads on. I'm like, oh, you're kidding me, aren't you? <laughs> so, so I go in at night, I go in at 90 for nine, I think, or something, maybe, maybe oh, less, 80, 85 for nine or something. I've not had, a, at this point, I've been awake for about 40 hours. So I go in. First ball, obviously, clean bowls me. I'm not good at batting at the best of times, <laughs> let alone when I don't know how many balls are coming down at me. So, clean bowls me. Now, the bleakest thing about getting clean bowled at Mitcham, as you mentioned earlier, Jono, is you have to cross back over the road. So, I've walked off the pitch, fully fully padded up, on a, just got a golden duck. I get to the main road. I've not seen a car on that road all day. Suddenly, it's like central London traffic. So I'm stood on the wrong side of the road wanting to get to the clubhouse, just letting about eight cars go past, 
fully kitted up, just got a golden before eventually there's a gap for me to, to nip over the road and get changed. Um, so anyway, we get, so captain goes, do you, can you bowl? And I said, mate, I don't think I can bowl. And he goes, well, look, take second over, go and warm up and stretch. I went, yeah, yeah, no worries. So I go and stretch. Uh, I turn up, second over. I run in. The first ball, I swear to God, doesn't reach the batsman. I run in. <laughs> I, all I'm thinking in my head, all I'm thinking in my head is just hit the deck hard. Don't just bowl some floaty ball. Hit the deck hard. So I release it so late. I release it by my toes and it bounces and then dribbles three quarters of the way down the pitch. The batsman's in shock. Everyone's laughing. My captain's like, are you serious? And I said, I think that's, that's all I've got, mate. I think that, and he goes, he goes that, that can't be. It can't be. Anyway, I bowled one over, one over naught for 16. Uh, and he took me off and I went and hid in the, in a deep fine leg for the rest of the day. And we ended up losing by one wicket. And, uh, the, the team pointed out that probably that one wicket, if their opening bowler hadn't gone to fabric, might have transpired. But, uh, <laughs> Oh, so that is my me. worst. That's my lowest cricketing memory, I'd say. Yeah, don't go to fabric the night before a cricket match. Would be my one bit of advice to any young cricketers listening. Um, so, Toby, uh, you're well aware that tough issues and and kind of issues of mental health, etc., is something the main focus of this podcast and the reason that we've decided to put it together to to really highlight those kind of issues. Um, in the in the job that you do as a kind of professional broadcaster, national radio. Uh, in what's a kind of a real key slot, that kind of mid-morning ten to one show. What I'd be really interested to know is that have you, have you felt, you know, in in this year that's been incredibly difficult for everybody in twenty twenty, have you felt any kind of extra pressure to to keep people entertained, to kind of really, you know, keep people a bit more upbeat than you would maybe normally? Um, I don't know about extra extra pressure necessarily because. As much as my uh, my general demeanour and personality and general outlook on life is is quite laissez faire and quite flippant, um, I really do care that my show sounds good. Like I I joke about you know I do tend to turn up twenty seconds before I need to go on a bit hungover, but once I'm there, I do want it to sound good. Uh, I really do want it to be entertaining or a nice listen, and I want people to enjoy the music and enjoy a bit of me chatting nonsense in between and stuff. So um, I guess it's been. It almost sounds selfish saying this, but especially on that mid-morning show, because, you know, I joke about it on air, but for me, my listening figures have never been better because nobody's going to work. Normally at nine o'clock, you know, everybody turns off their radio and does a day's work, which which hasn't been happening. Yeah, yeah. People have been listening from home. And so I've had a lot of new listeners, you know, discover the show, which has been selfishly, but personally really nice. Lots of texts going, oh, I've never really heard your show, but really got into it the last six, seven months working from home and stuff. So. I guess a bit of pressure comes of knowing that your numbers are up, but uh, it doesn't really because the weirdest thing about radio, especially when you're trying to be in huge inverted commas funny, which I try and do, um, is you are talking to yourself in a room with a microphone. No matter, they can tell you there's a billion people listening. They can tell you there's two people listening. You still put a microphone light. The microphone light goes on. You try and say something that you, you found funny, hope they found it funny as well. Then you put the mic down and you get no immediate laugh or non-laugh. It's so weird. So at least if I crack a joke at the pubs or I crack a joke on this podcast, I can see your faces laughing or, or not laughing. Same with my mate. <laughs> um, but when with radio, you just put the mic down, you play a song, you play some ads and you just go, I hope someone out there somewhere 
thought that was funny. I thought it was all right. Uh, you know, there, there's other times where I go, that wasn't my best work, but I think I got away with it, you know. Um, so I, I don't know, like pressure wise, but the, genuinely the, the texts and tweets that have come in that have been really humbling because it still blows my mind that anybody would take the time to listen to me. And I'm not saying that to be humble. It still hasn't sunk in. I've been doing it for six years. The fact that people are fans of the show blows my mind. Like it really does. So a lot of texts and tweets these last six months from people saying that uh, not just me, but Radio X has been an absolute life savior in lockdown and they feel like they've had a mate in the room with them, which is kind of the whole angle of the radio station. and stuff. Mm -hmm. So that's been so humbling. But And this sounds so incredibly cheesy, so incredibly cheesy. But uh, I get a lot of texts from people saying, Toby, you've really helped throughout lockdown, you know, working from home. But the listeners have helped me as well because we're all struggling this year. This year has been... Yeah. You know, the word unprecedented has never been used. The word unprecedented has been used an unprecedented amount of times this year. And, uh, <laughs> and whilst I've been very, very lucky to mentally be, uh, be going into work every day, so have a change of scene every day, have a bit of structure, have a schedule, to be earning money, which I know lots of people haven't had the same luxury, um, it's huge. So Pippa and I, we've, we've never once complained about lockdown. We joke about it and, you know, another Zoom quiz and whatever, but... We've been so lucky this year where people have had it so much harder than us and we are self-aware enough to recognise that. But it has still been a weird year. You know, we miss doing the things we love. We, we miss being able to go into my dad's house and sit alongside him and watch TV and clink a beer together and, and watch a bit of cricket and the things we take for granted every, every year. So it's been, as cheesy as it sounds, the listeners have been great for me as well. Obviously, you've talked about like, the positive feedback that you get. I'm guessing being someone of your stature and in the position that you're in, it's not going to all be positive all the time. Um, how do you manage that? Obviously, from our point of view in sport and cricket, people will get analysis, good, bad, the other from idiots watching or people watching. Like, how do you manage that on the scale that you get? Yeah, it's... Uh, you, you kind of... You, you have to be thick-skinned, I think. Um, and especially with the sort of presenter that I want to be, you know, I'm on the same station as Chris Moyles and Johnny Vaughan, huge personalities, legends, you know, national treasures, two of the best that have ever done it. Very funny. They've got opinions. They toe the line sometimes of what you can and can't say on the radio. They might have an opinion that's, you know, not everybody's cup of tea. They don't do it to get a reaction. They do it because they're being themselves and that's what makes them so good. And as soon as I joined Radio X, I was there in the early mornings, but listening to Chris and Johnny every day going, well, that's the standard. That that's the level that I'd like to get to, and you can you can try and play it safe, or you can just put yourself out there and, and have an opinion and, and and say things that you hope get a laugh, even if they might, you know, toe the line a little bit. And uh, sometimes of what's decent and what's not. Um, so with that, with having a personality and with having an opinion, me and Chris and Johnny and you know personality uh, presenters everywhere, we probably get. For all the praise, we probably get more abuse than all the other presenters as well. You know, somebody that just speaks for 10 seconds in between a song and says, that was the killers, this is Foo Fighters. They don't get too much, too many listeners coming back at them. Um, I'd say I'm quite fortunate. I'm thick skinned. I can make, I can take the mick out of myself, which is really important. And I think you have to. Um, but I am not pretending for a moment. Um, there are times, it's weird, there's no set rules to it. I don't know if it's what day you're having, what week you're having, what you had for breakfast, how much sleep you got the night before. I could get uh, 20, 20 negative messages in a month and 
water off a duck's back. I laugh, I'll show them to my mate, and I'll move on. And then one day I'll get a message nowhere near as aggressive as any of those 20. And for some reason, it sticks in my head all day. I'm a bit flat. I, you know, I might mention it to Pips, my missus, and be like, oh, look, this person hates me. I don't know why. Or, you know, this person got really annoyed at this. And There's no set rules to it. I think it does depend what headspace you're in. But you, you do get used to it. And also, no, I'm, I'm very, very lucky to do the job that I do. I mean, I joked earlier about a three-hour working day. But <laughs> I've got basically about a four-hour working day, all, all, everything included. You know, I'm I'm very lucky. I get to go to premieres and gigs that people would give a right arm to go. I'm so fortunate. The flip side of the industry is that you, if you if you have a bad day at the office and you work in IT, no disrespect to anyone that works in IT, you and maybe your boss know that you had a bad day at the office. If I had a bad day at the office, 1.7 million people know I had a bad day. So it comes with you know a different level of pressure and stuff. But uh, by and large, I think most people in the industry. If they don't arrive thick-skinned, they soon develop a bit of a thick skin. But no question, there are, there are some days where I'll cover Chris Moyles on The Breakfast Show and I'll get 2,000 nice comments in a, in a week and I'll get 10 negative ones. And some weeks I only think about the 10 negative ones. It's like the other 2,000 ones didn't exist. It just depends your mindset. It really does. I've, mm. I've got no answer to it. I just think like any human being, some days things roll off easier than others, basically. I think the uh, I think that's really important, Toby. And obviously, you know, mental health and you know helping people and driving awareness is something that you were interested in far before we knew each other. And you know, I, I, I mentioned you know the, the plans of doing this to you. Um, something that we did want to touch on was obviously you know your your dad being your dad, and you know obviously having quite a high profile um, career himself. Um, you know, th at that point, you must have been about 14 when I think your parents got divorced. Um, I, I wonder if there are, you know, experiences that you could share with, you know, we will have, you know, this is a podcast for people of all ages and people who, who love cricket and there will be juniors and Colts listening to this um, and, and probably kids who, are, who may be facing a, a similar situation, maybe not, you know, such a in such a high profile environment, but what advice would you be able to, you know, what did you feel like you went through and what advice would you be able to give those kids who may be going through a similar situation to you now? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, no, no question about it. My parents' divorce was the lowest point of my life. No question about it. Uh, and I think it's, it's, it's left marks on me for years. Uh, I'm sure there's still marks from those, those couple of years still there, you know. Um, I know that, Divorce is a very common thing, and uh, there's lots of kids that will go through the same thing. Lots of lots of marriages end in divorce nowadays. It's a different society to the one that you know our grandparents grew up in, who were together for 50, 60, 70 years. So, I know lots of kids listening to this podcast will at some point either go through this, hopefully not, uh, or they will. I guess the difference is, and I'm not saying my my parents' divorce was worse than your parents' divorce. Um, but I guess there's something that uh, that nothing could ever prepare you for is, you know, your mum and dad, they're getting divorced in pretty acrimonious circumstances. And so already that's tough. Then it's on the front page of every single newspaper. And it was on the front page yeah. of every single newspaper for, for months, for months. And uh, I, I spent uh, a few months of my life, there was journalists, uh, depending on how popular the story was that day, 
10, 20 journalists parked in cars outside the front gates of our house for months on end. And I went to school on the back seat of my mum's car with a blanket over me and my sister over our heads. Because and we drove out the gates every single day, journalists are taking photos of your mum and you through the car windows, which is surreal, right? I mean, nothing prepares you as a 14-year-old for that. Then you get to school, you know, you know that every single kid, you got that sense of, and we've all had it in life, you got that sense when you walked into a room, everybody in this room's just been talking about me. Of course, you know, if, 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 if the shoe was on the other foot and I was one of those kids and one of the kids in our years, parents' divorce was on the front page of, of every single newspaper, I'd talk about it too. It's gossip, you know? I don't blame those kids for it. Some of them are my closest best mates who I love to this day, you know? I don't, I don't blame them at all. So that real sense of people treading on eggshells around you, people definitely talking about you, even pair, uh, teachers who are adults, so, you know, teachers are human beings. They're obviously reading every single one of these stories as well. And, and you know, you know that everybody's kind of looking at you and uh, and being nice. But don't get me wrong, being very lovely and, you know, bit, but just that sense of you, you feel like the whole school is looking at you. It was the weirdest few months of my life. Um, that I couldn't give you any advice on how I got through it because I didn't deal with it particularly well. As you, as you guys know far too well, and obviously I've bored you to tears talking nonstop on this podcast so far, but I'm not normally shy, shy of a word to say. Uh, I don't normally shut up. I'm normally uh, the loudest, most talkative person in the room. I just, I just didn't speak. I went quiet for six months, and I didn't even really know I was doing it. My mum looks back now and goes, you just weren't the same. Like You used to be just waiting to crack a joke at every opportunity, and you just, just didn't speak for six months, which is not the way that you should cope with it. Um, it's how I, at the time, wanted to, decided to. I think when you're 14, I was also suddenly thrust into being the man of the house because my dad had obviously been kicked out, quite rightfully been kicked out. Um, my brother was older. He, you know, he lived with his girlfriend. And even though I was the youngest, I was always quite mature, believe it or not. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I, I, fe- I felt like I felt like I owed it to my mum and my sisters. We were all struggling. I felt like I wanted to be the man of the house, but I got it so wrong because in my mind, oh, what do men do? Oh, well, men are tough and men don't show any emotion and men don't cry was my approach. So I just yeah. went silent and tried to be this sort of strong, silent type 14-year-old. And it meant that I don't think I ever really noticed how much of an impact the divorce had until probably the last few years. You know, probably, you know, here we are 15 years later, and I'd say I've probably only really taken it on board, honestly, in the last three or so years. Um, and that's from talking to talking to mates about it, uh, talking to pips about it. Um, it's such a cliche, and I know that obviously a huge part of this podcast is going to be the mental health angle, and you'll say it a thousand times. Oh, you know, make sure you talk to somebody. Make sure you talk. But the reason everybody says that is because it's the truest thing in the world. It's the truest thing in the world. Um, if I could go back and turn back time and slap myself around as a 14-year-old, I'd say, talk to your mates. They're only 14, but they're your mate. You know, Even if they don't have the words yet, they'll, they'll put their arm around your shoulder. Talk to your mum. Talk to your sisters. They're going through a, ta- a crap time as well. Um, and I, so like I said, I know it's such a cliche, but... I, talking about it the last few years and being honest about it and accepting that I struggled and accepting that I, I, it was a tough time in my life, a whole weight has been lifted. And uh, yeah, I uh, I wouldn't wish those days on anyone. Um, I, 
I guess the one thing I'd always say is life at times when life feels so crap, there are always better days ahead. And that sounds cheesy as anything, but no matter how, when you're in a tough moment, it feels like, well, this is life now. This is how I'm going to feel forever because I can't imagine this feeling ever going. And there's such better days ahead. And uh, look, I've, I've been very lucky. I, you know, I grew up in a wealthy family in a, a lovely part of the world. Um, and I've been, I've had lots of, lots of advantages in life that other people don't get access to. Uh, one of the disadvantages is that your life is public property to a certain extent. And uh, I really noticed it those few months. But I think it did set me up well for this industry that I saw it as a kid. I kind of knew what to expect. And I don't think anything surprised me now that I'm in it, really. I've kind of, I think that's one advantage that came out of it, certainly. I think that's, it's, 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 I mean, thank you for being so open about it, uh, first and foremost. I think it's, um, you know, what, what I took from that is, is, you know, one of the main things is that through talking to Pip and talking to your mum and, and your dad and your siblings about it, I mean, I think there's, what, five, six of you, brothers and sisters? Yeah, yeah. Um, that, you know, through talking about stuff, whether it's 12 years later or whether it's at the time, you know, at talking about stuff, and this is, I think, the, the main thing that we're going to try and say to people throughout the, the lifespan of this podcast is that no matter how dark things seem, like, there is always light somewhere. And, you know, that comes about through talking to people. Now, it might be an incredibly, and I'm going to ask you about someone who I think had quite a big influence on your life in a minute, but, um, you know, through talking, that that's where the, the kind of healing process starts. And without doing that, then you're never, you, you know, you can't even necessarily start that process. Simon, I think you want to come in here? Yeah, a quick one. Obviously, we're going to have a lot of youngsters listening to this that, aren't necessarily going through that themselves, but they might know someone that is. And obviously, like we're, we're all massively agreed on the fact that talking about it is the right thing to do. And when you're in that moment, I can imagine in your situation is with the press on you and everything else, it's probably the hardest thing to do because you know everyone's watching you. What would you say? And well, two questions really. What would you say to the friend of someone that might be in that situation? And two, did your friends come to you? And say, look, are you all right? And not that there's anything bad if they didn't, because of the, like you say, you're 14. What you, you don't know any different. But did they? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I think 14. You know, it sounds young to us all now, looking back. But you're further along than you realise at 14. You know, you're you're not you're not a child. You, you've got a bit about you. You've, you've seen enough of the world. You know that the world's not all, you know, <laughs> rainbows and sunshine. And my mates, God love them. They probably, none of us are probably emotionally mature enough at 14 for my mate to come up to me and go, here, mate, how are you doing? You know, nowadays you'd go, let's go for a beer at 14. Let's go for a bag of Haribo and a Lucasade. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But we weren't emotionally mature enough for my mates to come up to me. But I knew what they were doing. God love them. You know, every Friday, right, what we're doing this Friday. I was very fortunate to have a great group of mates, five or six of us. We'd just come, we'd go around my house and play Xbox and watch and get a video from Blockbuster and, and play a game of football. But they, you could sense everyone knew that we were there for me, basically. <laughs> it sounds, it sounds very self-centered, but I knew that my mates were going the extra mile. Even at 14, they just knew, just let's have some fun. Let's distract you from that. Um, so yeah, they, they didn't, we never chatted about it. I didn't chat to them for until years later. I think when I started to work out what the hell had happened as well, 
But there was a definite sense, even at 14, you can just be with your mate. And I felt, actually, do you know what I wanted? I wanted to be treated normally. I yeah. mentioned people when walking into a room and people I felt tread on eggshells around me. They just treated me normally, but they're there. And I guess, like I say, the advantage is I've got a big family, a group of mates to talk to. Some people aren't as lucky as that. You know, you might think, well, I don't know who my best mate is. I don't have siblings. You know, I don't have a great relationship with my mum and dad. And that is where these charities that people are so afraid to call um, because they just don't like the idea of talking to a stranger. There is always someone. I've said before on Radio X a few times, send me a tweet. I've, I've, had, I've, had, it, I've had it in lockdown. I've had a listener uh, tweeted me. He said, at Toby Tarrant, um, and a long tweet that he's been really struggling and that he's, uh, you know, his lockdown has affected his marriage and he doesn't feel like he's been a good dad. But, and he sent me a long old tweet and I followed him back and we had a good direct message tweet and uh, a load of listeners saw my reaction, sent him messages going, hang in there, mate. It's a tough time. It's okay to talk. And it was a beautiful thread. It was a beautiful, beautiful thread. I was, I was so proud of it. I kept showing Pippa. I was going, this is amazing. Strangers are just chiming in it. Um, he, he just decided to tweet me, a radio presenter he's never met before because he knew he had to talk to someone. So these charities that are out there, there is always someone out there. And it's just, um, just you know, being brave enough. And it does take a huge amount of bravery. But being brave enough to do it is, it's, it, it could save your life. And that's not. Being, yeah. that's not exaggerating that's not romanticizing it it could save your life um and uh yeah yeah I've, my mates i think they tried as their best in their 14 year old way to, to be there for me and they they were great they were superb awesome i think that that's um you know uh, it's really powerful what you just said there toby and i think that you know it's something that simon and eugene and i have talked about when when talking about putting this together is you know if there is one person that through this reconsiders the path that they think they're on to then try and explore something else that then puts them on a different path, then we have absolutely done everything and more than we set out to do. Like it is just about shining a light on these tough issues and making people feel aware that they are not the only ones going through them. Uh, and this is, this is why, you know, hearing stories like that from you and you being so open about it. And again, we thank you for doing that. Uh, is massively important. Um, I mentioned, and I really do want to cover it, um, someone who I think was probably quite important to you, and we had a conversation on the phone a few weeks ago about someone now who um, will still come and sit at fine leg and, you know, tell you what you're doing wrong when you're bowling here or there. And, you know, you've obviously got an amazing relationship, but I'm sure this happened at school and, and, and you've had this relationship on this to this day. But ex-professional cricketer himself, Keith Medlicott, was your coach at school. And, and just talk to us a little bit about the relationship that AU had then, but has, you know, lasted for the last 14 years since you left. Yeah, Keith Medlicott. And also, I've got to say another mention, Medes is the, is, the, is the sort of household name, if you will. Legendary coach at Surrey. Great player in his day as well. Um, and uh, Malcolm Dunn as well, who was our other coach there, was a brilliant cricketer in his time as well. Uh, his time was about the 1850s or something, but uh, he was an absolute, <laughs> absolute legend. I remember when he opened with W.G. Grayson Sutcliffe one day. Uh, no, he, was, uh, he, was, he was an absolute legend. He'll hate me if he ever hears this, but no, he's an absolute legend. Two, just, just two of life's good guys. Um, and... I was a nightmare for teachers when I was 14, 15. You know, I probably had a lot of anger from those couple of years anyway. Plus, I thought I was hilarious. I still do. 
So I'm trying to muck around in every class and make my mates laugh. And, you know, I wasn't ideal, skipping classes and stuff. I wasn't great. Um, and, I, and I was all or nothing. If I liked a topic like English or history, I'd be front row taking notes, keen as mustard. If you tried to tell me uh, about Pythagoras' theorem, I'd probably just flick a rubber at my mate next to me instead. <laughs> I mean, I was that, who was that? And, um, and, and my teachers, uh, Dan and uh, my cricket coaches, they got the best of me, if you like, because I loved cricket. So I was keen as anything, you know, and they were so, they, they were so good to me. And uh, Mr. Dunn, you know, he knew I was going through a tough time and he always made a point of, like I said, treat me normally. Didn't ever ask, yeah. didn't ever ask anything specific. Just walked past me in the hallway, stopped to chat. You know, did you watch the, did you watch the test match yesterday? You know, you bowled rubbish in nets yesterday. Yes, I know, sir. Sorry. Um, meant a huge amount of time. It was a complete escape for me, uh, you know, cricket. It was something that I could control, I guess. <laughs> well, I tried to control the ball. It kept going down leg side, but I tried to keep control of it. <laughs> and, uh, uh, yeah, and uh, I do remember Dunn, bless him. He used to go into bat for me a lot in the staff room, I think. I I'll never truly know what went on in that staff room when my name was banded about. But I do remember once, he was also, being my cricket coach, he was my head of house. So 104 kids in the year. and. Mr. Dunn comes to me as my head of house and he goes, Toby, mate, you know I'm a big fan of yours. We've just got the report cards for you. You've come 103rd out of 104 <laughs> for effort in the year. <laughs> and I was, uh, I was like, that's not great. And I said, who's last? And he said, oh, Ross Arnfield. Now, Ross Arnfield, lovely kid, but when he's the only thing keeping you afloat, you're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> He's like the canary they took down the mine. If he falls off the perch, you're in serious danger. <laughs> so, uh, so I'm like, I'm like, oh no, I'm like, oh sorry, sir. He's like, look, I'm getting a lot of stick in the staff room, mate. Just make my life easier. I'm always sticking up for you. I went, mate, I will do. Sorry. Three months later, end of term, report cards. Mr. Dunn calls me in. He goes, Toby, how do you think you've done? I said, I think it's gone better. I said, where am I? He goes, well, you're still 103rd. And I went, all oh, right. He goes, the bad news is. The bad news is Ross has been expelled, so now you're bottom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, amazing. Oh, that is sensational. Oh, but bless oh, him, he saw brilliant. the funny side. He saw the funny side, and he always stuck up for me. And I think as I grew up, as I got to 17, 18, I actually had a really good relationship with the teachers, but uh, I just needed to mature a little bit first. <laughs> amazing. Uh, look, I mean, we, we've we've... I really enjoyed this. I think we all have. It's been great fun. It's been great to hear you speak. We've got one, a few bits we want to talk to you about, but we know you're going to come on again. Hopefully, uh, your dad's going to come on and talk about more in depth about the work that you both do for the Lord's Taverners. So we'll save stuff like bad shirts and Dan Norcross, and uh, we're not going to talk about your love of Liverpool um, at all, <laughs> ever. But we'll talk a bit more about your career and how you came to land that job. Uh, everyone loves a bit of nepotism. Um, <laughs> but, to, but to finish, to finish, we're going body line on you, right? So Simon and I are gonna one word answer to these, Toby. That's it, one word answer. So, um, quick fire. First thing that comes into your head, right? I'll start. Red ball or white ball? Red ball. Lords or the Oval? Lords. Beer or cider? Beer. Short or long sleep? Short sleeve. These are easy. Uh, cricket or football? Ooh, ooh. On this podcast, I'll say cricket. <laughs> Tube or private taxi? 
Private taxi. <laughs> and finally, and this is my favourite, and I can't wait for the answer for this. One word: Moles or Vaughan? Vernon K. Oh. No, 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 no. <laughs> uh, no, absolutely not. Uh, are we going to let him get away with that? Uh, yeah. Actually, I've got his old show, Vernon, so I've got to be nice to him because one day I want to come back and they'll kick me off. <laughs> right, and there, ladies and gentlemen, we will, we will leave it for this episode. Next time, Toby will answer that question and answer it properly. Um, it, Toby, it's, it's been a great, great pleasure. Uh, you're a great friend to the three of us. Thank you so much for coming on, uh, sharing your story, some of the some of the tougher things which I know aren't easy to to discuss uh, in open forum like this. But thanks so much. We really do appreciate it. Uh, thanks to Simon. All right. Thanks, Tobes. I massively appreciate it. It's uh, really good to hear from you and your story. The positive news that you spread into everyone, I think, is a really, really good thing. So, yeah, really good. Thanks to Eugene. Thanks, Toby. It's uh, been great having you on. And, uh, yeah, absolute pleasure talking to you. And, uh, yeah, thanks for me, guys. Uh, look, great to have you with us uh, again on Slogging It. And, uh, yeah, we look forward to seeing you again next week. Ta-ta for now. Thanks, lads. Thank you, Free. Um, genuinely, I ribbed you a bit earlier on about this podcast, but when you first mentioned it to me, the thing that really excited me is, first of all, it's about cricket. But there's a thousand cricket podcasts and there's a thousand sports podcasts out there. The stuff you're going to do about mental health moving forward i've seen some of the guests you're trying to get lined up i think it's absolutely awesome so you three very well done for for putting this podcast together i wish you all the best of luck with it uh doing some good and having fun and chatting about cricket it doesn't get much better than that so uh, well done chaps thanks for having me <laughs>